This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit LizBruner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and the woman you're about to meet today has defied the odds. In 2006, her life came to a screeching halt when she was diagnosed with a progressive neuromuscular disease. Doctors told her to prepare herself for living the rest of her days in a wheelchair and an accelerated aging process. She refused to accept that diagnosis, and a couple of years later, she competed in and finished the 2009 Boston Marathon. Mary McManus, welcome to my podcast. It is truly an honor to have you with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Liz. It's great to be here. And we're in person. I know, this is so exciting. (laughs) It really is. Besides being a runner, I should tell all of you that Mary is also an author, a poet, and a motivational speaker. And she has a beautiful new book of poetry that's just been published, which we're going to dive into a little bit later today. But first, Mary, your life has taken so many twists and turns along the way. I want to go back in time. When you were five years old, despite having five vaccinations, you got polio. And this was during the last epidemic in the United States. What do you remember about that experience and the challenges that came as a result? Well, Liz, it was, it was quite something to say the least. I was playing with my, one of my best friends. Her mom, as it turned out, was not vaccinated. And she came down with polio the same day I did. And I remember I was dancing around the gym. I was a normal, healthy five-year-old. And the next thing I knew, I dropped to the ground. And I don't remember how I got home from school. I do remember back in the day, Liz, they did a spinal tap in the home. Yeah, (laughs) I know. It was horrifying. And the doctor, based on my presentation, said she has polio. I mean, I was only five, and I, of course, was in shock. But somewhere in the back of my mind was, how is this even possible? I knew I had had all of my vaccinations. And so initially, I was paralyzed from the neck down. Wow. I was, yeah, I was considered one of the lucky ones, Liz, because I didn't need to go into an iron lung. But initially, I couldn't move. How did you get from not moving to moving? The thing with polio is, is that movement can start coming back spontaneously as you come out of the acute phase Mm -hmm. of the poliomyelitis infection. And that's what was happening. I also, at a very early age, was touched by grace. And I had an out-of-body experience. I had this image of being wheeled up in a well bucket. I felt total peace. I actually stepped into the well bucket, even though my body was paralyzed. Mm. I don't know if it was my guardian angel, but there was this incredible presence, this beautiful being. And when I came back into my body, I started getting movement back. Mm. First on my right side. The interesting thing was I, I looked at my storybook when I was able to move around a little bit. I saw this being wherever I looked. It was such a healing presence. Mm -hmm. And 
my mom was addicted to prescription painkillers, so she could not or would not care for me. So I had this presence. It just truly was a touch of grace. I have to wonder, because you've been very public about the fact that besides having polio, that you endured much abuse as a child yes. from many years, from eight years old to, I think, 17. Mm-hmm. How did you survive all of that? Was it this, this presence that you talk about? Yes, I, I felt there was a presence with me. I felt that somehow I was going to make it through mm. if I could just hold on. A big part of what I did was I dissociated from my body. So I just basically ignored what was happening in my body. You mean the abuse that was happening and the polio? Yes. yes. And I didn't tell anybody. So my physical therapist and my physiatrist didn't know. She was also an earth angel. Oh, Liz, she was so wonderful. This Someone amazing... was looking out for you. <laughs> I'll tell you. I, you know, on the one hand, you can say, oh, I can't believe I lived through all of this. But on the other hand, I feel truly blessed that, you know, there, there were angels watching over me. And I met a lot of earth angels along the way. And there was this strength within me that mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Well, it comes from the divine. Yeah. That's what carried me through those nine years. I also, I had a couple of teachers mm-hmm. who also, I didn't tell them everything, but they knew something was going on by how driven I was to succeed in school. I was, I would get up in the middle of the night and make sure I knew every answer to every question. And that's, that's also part of how I survived. You go on, you get your master's in social work. You have this amazing 25-year career as a VA social worker. And then you learn you have post-polio syndrome. What was going on in your body that you knew something was horribly wrong? And what did the doctors tell you? (laughs) Well, that was a big thing about um, initially getting a diagnosis because I had MD nest syndrome, even though my twins were still at home. It was all in my head. And, And In all fairness to them, I am a trauma survivor, so, you know, they figured it was trauma, but I knew there was something very real happening. Um, Physically, you knew? Okay. Yeah. The limb from polio returned. I was in chronic pain. Oh, Liz, the pain was unbelievable. Mm. Every bone, every muscle, every joint just ached, and I was tired all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Had you even heard of post-polio syndrome and that that might happen to you someday? Interestingly enough, um, I had reconstructive leg surgery on my polio leg many, many years ago. And my surgeon knew I was a social worker at the VA. During my post-op visit, he pulled me into the office with another patient whose husband was a veteran. And he said to me, McManus, I need your help. I, I love this surgeon. He, he's retired now, but he's just an amazing man. And and I said, what do you mean you need my help? I'm here for my post-op visit. And he said, oh, well, yes, we'll get to that. But this woman really needs your help. She needs me to take care of her legs. She's dealing with post-polio syndrome. What are the chances, Liz? (laughs) Yes. The divine. The divine. That's what planted the seeds, that there was something called post-polio syndrome. When I started feeling all these things, and it was 10 years in the making of starting to not feel well, Mm. I kept soldiering on. I kept taking care of my patients. 
I didn't know how to take care of myself, which was a big problem when you're a social worker, especially at the VA. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) You should. If anybody know how to take care of themselves, it should be you when you're telling everybody else to take care of themselves. (laughs) Oh, yes. I got still and I just said, okay, God, what, what, what is going on here? And spirit told me to Google post polio syndrome. You decide then I should probably leave my job as a social worker. And this ultimately leads you on a healing journey. And you discover two really important things, your love of running and poetry. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the running. <laughs> How did you discover running as a way to help you heal? <laughs> After I Googled post-polio syndrome, I went to the Spalding Rehab Clinic. And they told me after numerous tests, you have post-polio syndrome. And I said, well, okay, what does this mean? And well, you're probably going to need to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. You need to quit your job. I had difficulty swallowing, breathing. That was part of the symptoms. I said, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? I went through outpatient treatment at Spalding. And then the divine, again, led me to a personal trainer. And I said, do you think you can help me get a little stronger? Can we build on the program uh, from Spalding? And she said, Henry Ford's quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're you're right. right. (laughs) (laughs) I said, okay, I'm game. I worked with her and I started feeling muscles and Liz, one of the most important things that I discovered at this time was I'm going to be in pain. So I've got to choose. Am I going to be in pain on the side of decline? Am I going to be in pain on the side of just withering away for the rest of my life? Or am I going to feel pain on the side of healing? And I chose to feel pain on the side of healing. So I worked with Janine. I started getting a little stronger and it's six months. She asked me what my next goals were, and I said, I want to come out of my leg brace. I want to to get rid of my cane. I want to feel free of my body. I took ballet before I got polio. I want to dance, and I I just want to be able to walk outside and feel free of my body. So she said, "Mm, those are, you know, really nice, reasonable goals. And then the next thing I said, I said, wait, she's getting ready to leave. She gathered up all of her things. I said, wait, I have one more goal. And she said, what's that? I want to run the Boston Marathon next year. (laughs) So that's how I came to running, Liz. Okay, and and let's (laughs) let's make sure people know that you'd never run a day in your life until that point, which was age 53. Yes. And then you decide you're going to do the marathon, Mm. which is one of the hardest marathons (laughs) of all. I I can't even imagine. How how do you go about training for that? Janine was amazing because, you know, she could have said, are you out of your mind? I mean, <laughs> a lot of people foot. probably did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got a leg brace on. What are you talking about? She didn't. And she said, you need a pair of running shoes. So she started me indoors with cardio training. And then God bless her. She took me outside and she said, running is just like walking only faster. My heart rate went up over 170 the first time I tried to run. <laughs> That's kind of scary. <laughs> and she said, don't worry, because she had me in a heart monitor. She said, don't worry, it's okay. Yeah. She said, your body is going to acclimate. I told my husband and my daughter, I said, Janine and I set a new goal. And they said, really, what's that? And expecting me to say, you know, we're going to go for a walk on the beach. Uh, 
I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. They were like, what? They thought I was kidding at first. And then they said, well, we're going to run it with you. And I said to my daughter, you've never run a day in your life. My husband had run 10Ks before we had twins. They said, well, we don't care. We're going to do it with you. So we got accepted to the Spalding team. It was the most incredible experience of my life, Liz. It's so important in our lives to have people who are our supporters as opposed to the naysayers. So important. I know that you've gotten to know Bill Rogers through running. And in case people don't know who Bill Rogers is, he's a former Olympian. He's a marathon record holder, including winning Boston four times, three of them in a row. And he once said to you, life is hard. Yeah. That's why we run. When we conquer the roads, we can conquer whatever challenges happen to us in life. And you say running transformed your life. What does it feel like when you run? Oh, there's a sense of freedom. There's a sense of connection to all that is. There's just this sense of, uh, George Sheehan, I think, is the one who said it, you discover something perfect in yourself. It's just you in the road, and you just get to be outside, and we unplug. We don't run to music. We connect with nature, and that in and of itself is healing. Yes, Yes. And they say running by a body of water, you actually get the energy from the water. May I also say you talked about supporters. Oh my God, the running community. I was bullied. I was teased as a survivor of polio and I was on crutches. I had a long leg brace. This is before disability awareness. And Liz, the running community, when they heard what my story was, Suddenly, when I finished last in a race, it was like I'd broken the finisher's tape. It was so powerfully healing to not only be in my body in and of itself, but then to be connected to this incredible community. Very affirming. Mm -hmm. Very affirming. I run along the Charles and walk along the Charles. So you're talking about the water. I'm thinking, oh, it's so, so empowering to be next to water Mm -hmm. in that way. How did you discover your love of poetry and how has that helped you heal? So we've gone from the running to now the poetry. Tell me about that for yourself. Well, as I mentioned, I got still and asked for divine guidance once I got the diagnosis. In February of 2007, it was what I call the dark night of my mind, body, and soul. And I thought, well, I know I have to leave my career that I loved, my patients that I loved. What am I going to do? You know, all the financial worries as well. And I said, okay, I need guidance. So my husband was out with the twins. I was all alone in the house. I started getting into all the new age teachers. And I had all these papers spread out over my dining room table. A big part of it was gratitude and also creativity. They were talking about creativity, and I said, right, creative. I have my twins, my career's over. You know, I had that moment of poor me kind of thing. And I said, okay, I'm just going to get still. And the next thing I knew, running the race, the poem flowed out of me. Speaking of running the race, it's one of the first poems, if not the first poem. The first poem. The first poem that you wrote, and it (laughs) is in your new book, which is titled Hope is a Garden, Poems and Essays from the 2020 Pandemic. And that poem is called Running the Race. 
May I read a couple of paragraphs and share with our listeners? Oh, Liz, I'd be so honored to hear you read that. Running the Race Early summer 1959, my kindergarten year, everyone around me filled with nervous fear. Despite the sock vaccine hope polio would disappear, the polio virus crept right up and knocked me in the rear. Dancing all around the gym, feeling free just like a bird, I dropped to the ground just like a stone, and no one said a word. The pain, it was so searing, the diagnosis even worse. It's polio, the doctor said. He was abrupt and terse. And the poem goes on to what I believe is the last paragraph. I'm now off the sidelines, no need to sit and whine. So much gratitude fills my heart and love and beauty shine. After all these years, I can join the loving human race. I exceed all expectations, and now I set the pace. That was beautiful, Liz. Thank you. Well, I can only read it. You are the author <laughs> of those incredible uh, words. As you hear me read them, what, what emotions oh, come to mind? Oh, I get goosebumps, and I really feel the presence of spirit because that's where it came from. And also, my love of poetry, my, my beautiful physical therapist, Miss Holly, who took care of me right after the polio virus struck. She was amazing, and she was so far ahead of her time. She was just remarkable. So before every painful physical therapy session, she would prop me up on a chair. I can still picture it. And she would have me choose a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> I love it. And then during the, the painful physical therapy sessions where they put hot woolen blankets, I can't wear wool to this day, Liz. <laughs> yeah, they put hot woolen blankets and it was the way to coax the muscles back. And it was the, the Sister Kinney method is what it was called. She was a nun and she was a nurse and this was the treatment for polio. So while she was doing this to distract me from the pain, she would say, the sun did not shine, it was too wet to play, and I'd say, so we sat inside all that cold, cold, wet day. That's where the cadence came from. That's, as I'm hearing you say that, rhyme and rhythm and poetry kind of filtered in during those experiences, and now you've taken that mm-hmm. and used that experience, used that knowledge and created your own style and your own poems. The rest of that book, Hope is a Garden, is divided into sections because you wrote this during the pandemic. Yes. Unbelievable. And you've divided it up into seasons, which I, I think is really quite extraordinary. Out of curiosity, do you have a favorite season period? Not, not necessarily regarding the poem book, <laughs> but do you have a favorite season? Spring. Spring. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm going to read one more poem, if you don't mind. Mm. My favorite poem, although I have several that I've, I've clipped off here and highlighted, but this one is from Autumn. It is called Pieces of the Puzzle. Yes, what does that mean as I say <laughs> that to you? Oh, it's, it's one of my favorites, too. Is it? Oh, good. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm honored to read it, and here we go. When pieces are scattered and nothing seems to fit, 
that's the time to pause, breathe, and sit. It all will make sense with a tincture of time, although in this present, there's no reason or rhyme. Little by little, let spirit guide. Divine is always present, right by our side. Out of chaos, uncertainty, beauty comes into view. Abundance, well-being are all here for you. Broken into pieces, only an illusion you'll see. Wholeness and happiness sources wish we will be. Beings belong to earth, sun and sky. Mystery abounds. No need to fear and ask why. Create, not react. Be patient, let go. All is revealed, all that you need to know. Such exhilaration, when the final piece takes its place. All now revealed in life's sacred space. Gives me chills. I love those words. (laughs) Thank you. Well, one of the ways we got through the pandemic was to do jigsaw puzzles. There you go. Yeah. Pieces of the puzzle. I love jigsaw puzzles because I like to figure things out. (laughs) (laughs) You put that last piece in and, oh, yes. It's so exciting. (laughs) One of the things that, that you said you learned was that in order for things to change in and around you, you needed to change your perspective. Mary, a lot of people struggle with change, let alone changing a perspective on a particular situation or challenge that they may be facing. How did you do it? And what advice do you share with people about doing that? The first thing that I did was, in writing the poetry, was that I tapped into that spiritual side of myself, realizing that there's a bigger view, that we can't just get stuck on what is, because it's so important to see beyond appearances. Even when we look at appearances, like, for example, with the pandemic, you know, there was fear, there was terror, and especially for me as as having lived through one already. But then I started thinking, okay, what am I grateful for? How can I see the blessings? How can I alleviate some of the stress? I meditate. And meditation has just been so vital because during meditation, You quiet your mind, and you tune everything out, and you get to see things in a different way. And I also had to practice forgiveness. And that's hard, Liz. I know people say to me, how can you possibly forgive your parents and your grandmother for how they tortured you? And right after you had polio, how how do you possibly do that? And I said, I don't do it for them. I do it for me. It's the best gift that I can possibly give myself or anybody to give themselves because, you know, we can look at Nelson Mandela. We can look at so many role models who've, who've just been through so much. And we say, if they can forgive, so can I. And that really helped me to change things. Something else that really helped me to change my perspective was music. And I listen to Broadway musicals, and and one of my favorite songs is Dancing Through Life from Wicked. And, you know, where he says, let's dance to the woman in the wheelchair. And I said, well, even if I have to be in a wheelchair, I'm going to find a way to dance. Just everything I could possibly pull in helped me to change that perspective. It's hard. Change is so hard. And one of the things when I meditate is that I say, 
May I find ease. May I find peace. May I find comfort, even in the discomfort. That's something that helps a lot, too, is that you find a way to find comfort even when you're miserable. (laughs) And, you know, people say, how do you do that? How come you're not miserable being miserable? And I said, well, you know, life is filled with pain, but the suffering part of it is really optional. And it's all about how are we going to perceive things and also an attitude of gratitude, Liz. That's been the linchpin and a real change maker for me. The other thing that I'm also hearing you say, which I'm a big proponent of, which is we have a choice. Mm -hmm. We get to choose the attitude we want Mm -hmm. in spite of. Yes. In spite of. Mm -hmm. We can choose to be miserable. We can choose to accept what is. And how can I look for that silver lining? What can I be grateful for? What can I appreciate in Mm -hmm. spite of? Yes. Hugely important. You've said that getting polio and post-polio syndrome are your two greatest gifts. Explain that to our <laughs> listeners. I wouldn't be the woman I am today, Liz, if those events hadn't happened to me and also the trauma. I discovered a strength, a resilience. I discovered beauty out of all of that, out of all of that horror. I met Miss Holly. I had a camp counselor, um, a beloved camp counselor. Joe Stutz was his name. And, you know, he, he took to me and he helped me to develop the heart of a champion while I was at swimming camp. And just all these things that I wouldn't have experienced. The people that I've met and the message, my purpose, is to really let people know you're not your diagnosis. You're not what happened to you embrace what's happened and give thanks for them and unwrap the gifts. One of my favorite quotes is, every challenge is a dragon with a gift in its mouth. Tame the dragon and the gift is yours. Oh, I like that. (laughs) I've never heard that one before and I love quotes. (laughs) You have truly transformed your life, healed your life through that power of love, forgiveness, and gratitude and, and everything you've talked about. How has that helped you live your best life? Well, I have an open heart, and I can create a very kind world around me. And that, to me, is living your best life when you can touch others. I've inspired others, Liz. People have come up to me after I've given a talk and said, because of you, I'm not going to be afraid to try running again. It's just a beautiful way to live, to embrace everything and to know that The challenges are there for us to grow, but then also on the other side of the challenges, you know, it may sound corny, but every storm has its rainbow and the rainbow is so beautiful that it helps me to live my best life every day. Also, when I look back at when I first was diagnosed with post-polio syndrome and I say, oh my gosh, I thank my body every day and I wake up and I plant my two feet on the floor and I'm a very powerful force on social media, and a lot of people have said to me, you know, please keep your posts coming. And again, because of these experiences, out of these experiences, out of that hard, cold earth of winter, you know, this beautiful spring just blossoms and creates a garden of one's life. Beautifully said. I want to let our listeners know that besides your most recent book of poems, Hope is a Garden, 
You've written four other books, so we want to tell people about that. And you can find all that information on Mary and about her books by going to her website, which is marymcmanus.com, and that's M-A-R-Y-M-C-M-A-N-U-S.com. We'll also include that information in our show notes. Mary, it's truly been an honor to have you today. I want to thank you for showing us that we have the power. We have the power to transform our lives, to live our best life, no matter what, it's possible. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. As always, my wish is that all of you may know that you too can live your best life, whatever that means for you. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.